Famous Christian John War. W-A-R-R. I know you've all heard of him. He was greatly used by God. Probably nobody has heard of him unless you've been reading Christian biographies. But John War was a simple shoe cobbler apprentice in the 18th century. And John had come to faith in Jesus. And he had devoted his life to Jesus. And he had purposed to be a faithful witness for Jesus wherever he was. So he's an apprentice in a shoemaker's shop. A shoe cobbler. And into that shop comes another apprentice. And so John tries to befriend him. He tries to witness to him. He speaks over and over to him about the things of God, about the gospel, about Jesus. And this other shoe cobbler apprentice wants nothing to do with it. He resists him. He rejects it. He speaks evil of it. He's, though he was raised in a religious family, he's, I mean, he's going the other way. Headlong into sin and rebellion against God. And he doesn't want to hear a word this John War has to say. Thinks he's weird. He tells him not to speak to him anymore about Jesus. And then life has a funny way of turning a curve on you, doesn't it? This other shoemaker apprentice got caught substituting counterfeit money for real money. And he was in trouble. Big trouble. And you know what he did? This weird guy that he wanted nothing to do He went to him and he said, please pray for me. Through that trouble, a door was opened and John War stepped into it and prayed for him and sought to encourage him and witness to him. And it was a process, right? But at age 17, this other shoe cobbler apprentice came to faith in Jesus. And God radically changed his life. And he dove into the community of the church. And he dove into scripture. And maybe you've heard his name. You've probably heard of this guy. William Carey. Called the father of modern missions. Successful ministry in India. Though he had to plod for a while to see it come to fruition. But William Carey had become a Christian through the faithful witness of a shoe cobbler apprentice. And now he is going on the mission field. See, William Carey would change the church. I mean, we call him the father of modern missions. And he had some resistance to walk through to, to, to see that ministry going forward. And I won't get into that. I'll encourage you to read his story. But he was converted through the witness of a nobody, as we would think. I mean, just like Charles Spurgeon. Think of Spurgeon. The old deacon barely knew how to say anything, but young man looked to Christ. And Spurgeon was converted. And look what happened. Same with John War. But Carrie, John War, I wanted us to be encouraged because I relate far more to John War than William Carey, and maybe you do too. The faithful commitment and witness of John War, God used and, and, and worked in the heart of William Carey who becomes a good example of what we see in the Apostle Paul. One who poured into community. One who walked through difficulty. And one who depended upon a sovereign God in his life 
and in His ministry. He saw great things happen. And one of the things William Carey used to say, and this is where the title for the sermon came from, expect great things from God. But there was a comma. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. And, and as I thought about that and how God used this simple cobbler to witness to him and the, the work God did in William Carey's life and how you could see some of the, a lot of the same characteristics in William Carey that we see in the Apostle Paul in this text, I thought there are some things here that carry over that will bless us. And so expect great things from God. Listen, it's not a health and wealth sermon. Uh, you know I'm not that. But sometimes we're so afraid of that, we run off the reservation in the other direction trying to avoid it. The great things I'm talking about are not worldly great things. Those are not great things. And we'll see from the text where Paul finds his joy and purpose and perseverance uh, as he's in Corinth. And this is just a model of what we see in his life in other places. But I thought this was a good time to bring some of this out. We see some of that in, in Cary. And William Carey. So truly great things. God things. Truly great things are great because God defines them as great. And calls us into those great things. Not worldly great things. So today we're going to look at Acts 18, 1-11. We're going to think, expect great things from God as God defines them. And I want you to take this away from this sermon and ponder and think about it. But in the main point, expect great things from God in His people. In His promises. And in His purposes. Expect great things. You as any, any believer has the right to expect great things. As long as we are expecting the great things are, that are defined great by, by God. And the things that He's provided for us. So expect great things from God in His people. In His promises. And in His purposes. First point. Expect big things in God's people. I'll explain that. I'm talking about being in community. But first let me just say, great things are not centered in us. As God defines them, great things are not centered in us. We'll see that as we read the rest of the text. They're centered in Christ and about Christ and about His mission. What is the fundamental principle of Christianity as Christ taught us? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And follow me. You hear it echoed in things like it's more blessed to give than to receive. Children, we struggle to believe that sometimes, don't we? And adults. God has provided great things for us and works great things in and through us as we take Him seriously and live for other than us. Right? True greatness in the kingdom comes from self-denial. Jesus said this in Matthew 23. The greatest among you Shall be your servant. I mean, who was the greatest in that shoe cobbler shop? It was the, the lowly servant, apprentice. Jesus said, The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Well, one thing we've certainly seen in the life of Paul is self denial and humbling, and God humbling him. Knocking him off his high horse or mule on the way to Damascus. Converting him and using the one who wanted to destroy the church 
as the one who to a great extent is planting church, the church and churches. But the first thing I see in Paul as I read this text and thought about it is that the first place to expect great things outside of coming to faith in Christ, and this all flows out of that, being saved, the first place to expect great things is in community. One thing you will say about the Apostle Paul, he is not a lone ranger. He does not try to do things just in and of himself. I mean, I'm always amazed when you read his epistles that look at all of the people he prays for and mentions by name. When he's greeting, look at all of the people he sends greetings from and all of the people he sends greetings to. He's a community man. Christians are to be community people. And he seeks out fellowship and community. And it's from that that ministry flows forth. Look at a couple of examples in the first part of this text we're looking at in, in chapter 18. The first place to expect great things is in community with God's people. It says this, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And Corinth is, is about 50 miles west of Athens. It is the major political city. Uh, it, it is uh, the, the chief city in that province of Achaia. And it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's people coming in and out and going. It's, it's the political center. It is a place where it would be perfect to go set up ministry and a church. So Paul, Paul goes to Corinth, he's, you know, he's waiting on Silas and Timothy, and look what it says, he found a Jew named Aquila, and these are important people, we're going to see these people over and over in the life of Paul, so I'm going to say more about them later than I do today, but just a little bit about Aquila and Priscilla, but it says he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, now he didn't know him before this, okay, and it doesn't mean he knew him before, I mean it could, but we're not told that. But it says he found them. You know, this, this word can be used for intentionally searching something and for something and finding it, or it can just be what I think the NIV translate, met him. It's probably that case in, in this text. But he found him, he, he related to him. He, he, Priscilla and Aquila are probably already Christians at this point, though we don't know for sure. But it says, a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And I'm just going to mark that. Aquila and Priscilla are going to be powerful allies in Paul's life. A huge encouragement in Paul's life and a help in his ministry. And they will eventually have a house in their, a house in their church. A church in their house. Uh, but we'll, we'll see that later. But he says, he found him, Aquila. He found Priscilla. And they're there in Corinth because Claudius has commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Claudius is like, had it with you people, get out of here. Why? Well, we're not told for sure about that either, but it seems like it was probably because of the, the Christian witness in Rome and the, the, the dissension that that stirred up. And we've seen that as we looked at Paul going through the missionary journeys that how he'll go into a place, he'll be witnessing and people will come to faith in Christ and then the Jews who don't come to faith in Christ just get all in an uproar and, and create trouble and dissension and disunity in the city. So, you know, Claudius is like, gotta go, out. So they've been expelled. They are here in Corinth. It is a sovereign and divine appointment because they're going to meet and hook, and hook up with in partnership with the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see that as we go forward. 
But look, it says he went, <clears throat> he meets them, he gets to know them and has fellowship with them. And then it says he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers. Paul was working, and he talks about this in other places, how he would work with his own hands to not be a burden to other people. And he finds common ground with Aquila and Priscilla, and he knows how to do the same thing in leather work and tent making and all of the things that, that, that would be involved in that. And so they, they've, they're come together. They have a common trade. And notice the hospitality of Aquila and Priscilla, who I'm sure Paul didn't just say, hey, I'm going to stay with you now. But it was probably their idea. Why don't you come stay with us? So Paul didn't seek out the Y or a Motel 6 where he could be alone and just do his own thing. He searched out community. He found community. And he's in community as he's seeking to be a, a, a minister and a witness in Corinth. And then Silas and Timothy. It says... Well, let me not skip over verse 4. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So he's working to provide for his needs. He's in partnership with Priscilla and Aquila. And he's still doing what we've seen him do over and over and over. He's going to the synagogue every Sabbath to show them that the Messiah they've been hoping for is Jesus. And that the Messiah has come and the salvation he offers to them. So he's reasoning in the synagogue. He's, he's there flowing out of that fellowship with Priscilla and Quilla. And now look at more connection. And we know others that are not mentioned are, are in connection. Like Luke who has traveled with, with Paul. It says when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Paul was occupied with the word. Testifying to the Jews that Christ, the Christ was Jesus. So. It seems like, and, and other translations sort of bring this out, maybe, maybe Silas and Timothy brought with them from Macedonia some support for the Apostle Paul that then enabled him to, to pause from the working every day to be devoted to the Scriptures and teaching the Word. So they come back probably with some support and now he's, he's more devoted than ever. He's testifying to the Jews that the Christ, the Messiah, the expected one is Jesus. One of the things about the Apostle Paul as you read this, as I saw it here, and there's a glimpse of it here, and as you read the book of Acts and then you read his other letters, you see that Paul sought out community, not isolation. He knew that Christ had called him in to plug into His church, to plug into His people. And that was hard at first because people didn't trust Him. Barnabas had to sort of bring Him in. But he sought out community, not isolation. And he knew if he was going to be effective, he needed community. And he expected great things to come. He believed God. He expected God to do great things in him and through him and in the community that he would be a part of. He sacrificed for it. He made it a priority to sacrifice to be part of God's people. Reminds us of Jesus, right? Jesus certainly sacrificed for community. He sacrificed Himself for community. He came not to, to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. He came to live for us. Because why? 
Why didn't He just come and down the cross and go back to heaven? Because we have all, Jew and Gentile, the whole world, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 says. We've broken His commandments in thought, word, and deed. We have not kept one of them. We are sinners who, have, who are unrighteous and have sought our own way and cannot save ourselves. But Christ came. At just the right time, Galatians says. Born under His own law. To Why did He live so long on the To fulfill all righteousness. To glorify His Father. To fulfill the law. To fulfill the covenant. To, fulfill, to provide a righteousness for a people who didn't have any. And so he never sinned once in thought, word, or deed. He deserved only blessing. Why did he die? Why did he go to the cross? Because he took our guilt. Our sin was imputed to him. And so he died to pay the penalty. Not for his sin. He didn't have any. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And as horrible as the physical suffering was, the spiritual was infinitely worse because he satisfied the justice of God for the people he would save. He drank that cup dry on the cross. He said, it is almost finished. I'll leave a little bit for them to do. It is finished. Paid in full. To tell us die. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He really died. And he was raised from the grave the third day. Proving it of all true. Offering salvation as a free gift. If you will turn and trust in Him. He ascended into heaven. He's reigning today to make you comfortable in all of your life. And rich and healthy and happy. No. He's reigning to see His gospel go to the ends of the earth. And to empower His people to sacrifice for that big ends. To love one another the way we've been loved. To see that His gospel gives out. To love our neighbor. Take the gospel to them. We walk through many hardships in that and He's with us in them all. But He sacrificed to purchase a people for Himself. A people who would be zealous for good work. A people who would no longer live for themselves but for Christ who died for them and was raised from the grave. What must I do to be saved? Children, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. Repent. Turn from running from Him and from sin and from other, And trust in Him and receive Jesus as your Savior. Adults too. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in, whosoever trusts in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So Christ sacrificed to create a community of self-sacrificers who would seek their joy in Him and seek their delight and expect great things from Him in His community, His church. Do you seek and sacrifice for fellowship? Well, in one sense, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here, aren't you? It's not just Sunday. Is it your delight to worship Him together with God's people? And the way you were singing, I'm going to say yes, okay? Is Sunday, the Lord's Day, the high point of your week? Are you devoted to knowing Him more? Study. Do you delight to get together with other believers, formally and informally? Do you expect... More great things in the world or among God's people? Because community 
is where we grow in grace. Community is where we find our joy. Community is where Christ has poured out his, his banquet of blessing upon his people. The first thing Paul established as he goes to Corinth is community that will grow. It will definitely grow. We're going to see a church planted. But the second point, expect big things in God's promises. This one will not be maybe what you expect. Paul expected blessing through persecution. Paul expected blessing through hardship. Why did I say expect big things in God's promises? Because God promises hardship. God promises persecution. That's how we know we're on the right track. Wow. That is so cross-current to us, isn't it? I'm going to show you why I said that. But look first, you heard this from you hear this verse from me all the time. Jesus tells the truth as our prophet. He told it to the disciples and through the disciples to us, that every faithful follower of his, he says, in the world you will have trouble. We want it easy, don't we? We get we'd be if he just made everything easy, we'd be so rotten, we'd be no good at all. There are preachers that'll promise you an easy life if you'll just give them some money or, you know. That's not the truth. Jesus tells us the truth. You're going to have trouble in this world, but my gospel is big enough for that. If you will look to me, take heart. I have overcome the world for you. So in the midst of your trouble, you can know that it has a purpose. It's not wasted. God's going to do big things in the midst of your struggle. One of the things He's going to do is make you more like Jesus. If you never had any trouble, you'd never be more like Jesus. What, look what Paul says, same guy we're talking about in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all, not most, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Because the world doesn't like that. The devil certainly doesn't like that. And many times our own flesh doesn't like that. Everybody, you could say, everybody who desires to live for Jesus faithfully will be persecuted. How am I to respond to that persecution? This is why, I'm, you know, it, why do you see Paul persevering through beatings and stonings and all of the stuff he's persevering through? He didn't see it as a problem. He called it the marks of Christ. But look what Jesus told us to do. As a warning and an encouragement, and I'll show you here. Luke 6, 22-23. Blessed are you when you have a lot of money and you're healthy. And Man, we, we get so twisted about what blessing is. Blessed are you... Now watch this, people. Please hang with me and look at this. This is so cross-cutting. Blessed are you when people hate you. Now, we don't seek that out, but that's a natural outflow if we're faithful for Jesus. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and when they spurn your name as evil. Now, watch this. Not because you're being a jerk or a jerkus. I don't know quite how to say it. 
on account of the Son of Man. Blessed are you when you are rejected and spurned and Paul in Paul's case beaten and some who are being martyred more today than ever on account of Jesus. On account of the Son of Man. Now what, look what he says. If you are being hated and persecuted, grumble. I don't understand why this is happening. This shouldn't be happening. I'm doing everything right. We get thinking like that, don't we? Look what Jesus says. If you're hated and rejected, look what he says to do. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. If you're hated for my sake, it's a great thing. That's why I said seek great things in his promises. Look, he says rejoice in that day and leap for joy. When is the last time you were hated and you did a dance over it? It's convicting, right? But if I'm faithful to Jesus and people don't like it, this is to be my response. Now, don't be nanny nanny boo boo in their face. But hallelujah. Rejoice. Leap for joy. For behold, look, your reward is great in heaven. Great things. Great things. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. That's what he means when he, I mean, to the true prophets, not the false prophets. Getting crossed up. Let me read it again. Your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the true prophets, the prophets. I mean, read the Old Testament and see what happened to the true prophets. Rejected, beaten, killed, you know, you name it. Jesus said, if others hate you because of me, you rejoice and do a leap of joy. Look what he says, it's a warning. Luke 6, 26. But, you could say, and I skipped over a few verses, I'll let you go read those. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we strive for? Isn't that why we're quiet a lot of times? So people will like us and speak well of us? I'm just convicted by this as you are. I'm not preaching down my nose at you. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. See, this is why I said Paul sought great things in persecution. He didn't seek persecution, but he didn't see it as a problem. He saw it as a blessing because it was coming at him because he was living for Jesus. And he knew to expect it. So he let it serve and confirm and even strengthen him. It propelled him. Persecution propelled him forward on mission. Because he believed in Jesus. See, this is what the world don't understand. As the world's trying to stamp out the church in Iran and trying to stamp out the church in China and you name the other place, they don't understand it. That just encourages the believers and the gospel just spreads like wildfire. The church has a far harder time handling prosperity than it does persecution. So if you want to guarantee that the gospel spreads, start persecuting the church. If you want to find out who true Christians are, start persecuting the church too. See, Paul sought great things in persecution because he trusted Jesus. He believed Jesus and he knew that it was a good sign, not a bad sign. So it didn't slow him down. And look what happened in verse 8. Crispus. Wait, wait, let's, let's, let's back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. Paul, as he testified and he was rejected, uh, as he was testifying for Christ in verse 6, when they opposed and reviled him, watch, he shook, 
out his garments and said to them, this is just a, you know, like Christ said, wipe the dust off your feet. He said, your blood be on your own heads. He knew Ezekiel. He knew his responsibility to speak and they'd rejected it. So they're responsible for their own judgment, rejecting Christ. He said, I am innocent. I've told you about Jesus. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus or Titius or Titius, however you say his name, Justice. This is not Titus that Paul writes to later. This man is a God-fearer or a worshiper of God. So he, and it says his house was next door to the synagogue. Well, that's a sovereign placement, isn't it? The Jews reject him, so he just goes next door and keeps on talking about Jesus. And look, look. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. The president of the synagogue believed in the Lord and became a follower of Christ. Together with his entire household. Look, a lot of the household things we see in Acts. The whole house heard the gospel. The whole house believed. Therefore, the whole house was baptized. Right here, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household Saying they all believed in the Lord, and that's not all. It says many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and waited a long time, and then they were baptized. No, they believed and they were baptized. I mean, we've seen that throughout Acts. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been baptized? There's a whole page on the website about baptism I'll point you to. But it, it is your duty in following Jesus, but it should be our joy to picture one of the things, you know, to have the gospel proclaimed through us in that way and picture our union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection to honor Him before others and have Him promise to us as we see others baptized that everyone who's trusted in His Son, that is true of them. So many come to faith and many are baptized. Have you believed and have you been baptized? Why are you waiting? If you're trusting in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, please come talk to us. It's not about us. You know, we don't keep up with numbers and all that stuff. But baptism is important. One of the two sacraments or ordinances that Christ left with His church, Lord's Supper, baptism. And there's no reason to reject it or wait. Not without at least working on it. So anyway, I won't spend a lot of time on that. But look, God, I've talked about that before. Um, there is a fruitful result flowing out of Paul seeking community, flowing out of Paul being persecuted and rejected. There's people coming to faith in Christ. They're believing and being baptized, baptized. And we know a big church with a lot of problems is going to be planted here, right? If you don't believe me, read 1 Corinthians. Big church, a lot of problems. But blessed. Books of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians written to this church. Even while he's here in Corinth, Paul writing first, probably 1 and 2 Thessalonians. But a church is planted. Third, I've got to move on. Expect big things in God's purposes. Why do I say that? God's purposes are big, even worldwide. Go read Revelation 5. There will be a people in heaven from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language rejoicing before the throne. He promises to be with His church to accomplish this, not 
just, you know, his, it's not just our power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is with us. And Paul is seeing God work. Now watch what he says. Paul is in Corinth. He's being rejected. But the gospel's going forth and people are being converted. And like in a lot of other places, there would be persecution. People would believe. Persecution would flare up. And the apostles would move on. Right? They would come back through later to strengthen the church. But they would move on. But not here. Look what Jesus does. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent. Look, for I am with you. Wow. What, what more encouragement do we need, right? I am with you. What did, what did Jesus even tell Paul before he converted him? Why are you persecuting me when Paul was persecuting God's people? He says, I am with you for this. I am. I go, Amy, with you. In this, no one will attack or harm you, for I have many people in the city. First, the Great Commission ends with, I am with you always, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we win them to Christ and we teach them to love and honor and obey Christ. And behold, I am with you Always to the end of the age. So Paul, Jesus is just reminding Paul of this. So he's big purposes. Paul is involved in something much bigger than him. All young people say they want to be involved in something much bigger than they are. Welcome to gospel ministry and mission. There's nothing bigger than that. But look at Jesus' specificity. His sovereign specificity here. He said, I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you for I have many people, many in this city who are my people. You could say, I still have many in this city who are my people. I have a lot of my people in this city that you haven't talked to or reached yet. But I'm going to work through you to bring them to faith. See, I still have many in this city so don't be afraid. Keep speaking. I'm with you. I'm going to prosper so don't move on like the rest of the times stay put for a while and watch what i do jesus says i have many in this city here's another commonality between the apostle paul and william carey william carey was a reformed man william carey believed in predestination william carey believed in election and it it didn't stop him from being on fire and on mission it propelled him into ministry and mission god's sovereignty rightly understood doesn't make us mean debaters makes us faithful servants because sovereignty should humble us and encourage us and cause us to trust him who set His love upon us. See, see, election is true. God chose a people, Ephesians 1, 4, and other places. He gave them to His Son. If you're taking notes, you'll get more out of these sermons, by the way. Ephesians 1, 4, God chose a people. He gave them to His Son, John 17, 9. There are more scriptures. I'm giving you one. So, you, you know, it's hard to write them all down when you write them. His Son accomplished their redemption, John 19, 30. And the Spirit applies it and brings them to faith through the gospel. John 3, verses 3, 5, and 8. 
A people before the foundation of the world were given to the Son. The Son came to live for them and die for them and to be raised from the grave. And the Spirit to apply that good news of that dying and rising Savior to them so that they come to life and faith in Him. And He preserves them to the end. Look at John 6.39. Read the Gospel of John. I don't know how you can read that and not come out reformed, but... John 6.39 says, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. See, Paul, like William Carey, believed in election. He rightly understood it. And in him, God's Spirit working it, fueled mission to go reach the people for Jesus. We offer the Gospel to everyone. We command everyone to repent and believe. But it is God's Spirit that works through that Gospel to bring His people to Himself. Verse 10, I have many in this city who are My people who need to hear the Gospel. I will see to it that they do. And I will use you, Paul, so stay put. And he stayed a year and a half. It says in verse 11, He stayed a year and six months Teaching the Word of God. Notice the great thing Paul found in God's purposes. The great assurance that it gave him that he wasn't wasting his time. There are people who need to hear about Jesus who will respond. There will either be seeds planted or souls harvested. But it's not a waste of time. Jesus didn't just make salvation possible. He accomplished the redemption of His people. And the Spirit applies it through the preaching of the Gospel. I understand if you struggle with election. I did too. I threw books across the room and all kind of stuff. But I finally, through Acts 13, 48, had to submit to it. And my first question was like, well, that's not fair. Please don't ask God for fairness. Why didn't you choose them? Well, you know, I don't know that he didn't. I don't know who the elect are. Paul said his goal was to proclaim the gospel to everybody and see everybody come to faith in Christ. But that's God's business. But what sovereignty eventually did was humble me, put me in a shut-up, as the old black preacher said. And now I'm just amazed that he would choose me. I don't know about you. I don't worry. I mean, I know God says preach the gospel to every creature. That's what I'm doing. God is faithful. He is gracious. He is under no obligation to save everybody. I'm amazed that he would save me. But he did. But he assures Paul, listen, I have many in this city, so find your, your power in my purpose that I'm going to use you to bring them to faith. See, we see that in John War, right? Who witnessed to William Carey. We see it in William Carey. We see it in Paul here. That we need a shift, a major shift in mindset. We need, to, we need to redefine and relocate what great things are in the life of a Christian. And see that the greatest things are Christ and His mission. So like Paul, like Carrie, like Paul, especially like Paul, and we'll see it more and more as we study his life, expect great things in community, not alone. Unless God has called you to a remote tribe with the, Lord willing, the support of the church, where you have to go into a place and be alone uh, for the gospel. If that's not true, he's called you to pour into community. And again, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe somebody on the internet will need to hear this. The greatest things in Christ are found in community with His people, not at home. I'm not saying don't enjoy your home. 
Not at the beach, not on vacation, not in a new car, a new gun, a new house, a new wife, a new husband, a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend, cash, job, entertainment. Nowhere. Great things are found in Christ and the buffet is set amongst His people and it's, it's, it is, it is a, a work of grace just to be plugged into a body where you don't agree with everybody, agree with everything. You know, everybody, some people get on your nerves. I'm not, y'all are not getting on my nerves. I'm not saying that. But the greatest things are found as we worship together and do life together and do mission together and grow together. And Paul knew that. Why are we still here? This life is about Jesus. That's what Paul said, right? That's our theme verse. To live is me. Right? No. To live is Jesus. And to die is gain. Introverts, I know the struggle is real. I am one. Made a preacher out of one. Sacrifice that. Pour into community. Life is about Christ and He calls us into community and He blesses us in community. And if you can be a part of a community and you choose not to and stay at home with your family and call it worship, it is not. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Christ into community. Expect great things in community. Secondly, expect great things in persecution. Oh my. Hardship doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong. In fact, many times it means everything is right. If it's hardship because of Jesus, leap for joy. And if you seek to live for Jesus, you're going to have some rejection and hardship. Make peace with it. God accomplishes great things through hardship. I know the times I've grown the most have been in the midst of trials. What do trials do for me? What does rejection do for me? Well, one, it makes me more like Jesus. If I'm living for His glory and I'm being persecuted for it, He's chiseling away everything that doesn't look like Jesus in the, in the midst of the trials. Seeds of the gospel are planted when we suffer, if we suffer in God's grace. And are a witness in the midst of our struggle. People won't understand that. I mean, I know people who've gone to the doctor, and the doctors, you know, told them they had cancer, and they're like, okay, praise God. And they got to share the gospel with them because they weren't freaked out about it. I'm not saying everybody will do that and you'll never be freaked out about it. it God will bring you to terms. Souls are harvested through persecution. If we're unwilling to be rejected, we can't be used of the Lord to reach others for Christ. Last thing, expect great things in His sovereignty. His word never fails to accomplish His purpose. Isaiah 55, 11. He will save all His people and He will use you to do it. I'm not a preacher or a singer or a teacher. Or well, what about a shoe cobbler? Not much lower job status than that. He will use you. And His sovereignty should give us confidence and propel us out. So remember the Apostle Paul in community and persecution in a knowledge of God's sovereignty. Remember William Carey that I mentioned who's a great example and sort of mirrors Paul's life in this way. But go all the way back to John War, that simple cobbler of shoes who changed the world because he was faithful. Now, 
God used him. It was through his witness, right? So God gets the glory. He used this lowly, lowly carpenter. Lowly, hey, that's a good, a good picture, right? A lowly shoe cobbler to bring the father of modern missions to faith. He used Paul, who was the persecutor of the church, that he's made an apostle, who loves community in the church now, who isn't sidetracked by persecution, and who just fully dependent upon God's grace and sovereignty. And he will use you too. So expect great things. Expect God things. Expect gospel things among His people through His promises and in accord with His purposes. Love and live for Christ. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us to believe You. Thank You for this glimpse of real life in Christ that we see in the Apostle Paul in Corinth. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us, and we know we grow in that, Lord. Help us to love one another the way Christ has loved us. Help us to not be sidetracked by wanting to be liked by everybody. Help us not to be mean and and aggressive and jerks either. Help us to be gentle but faithful. Loving but faithful. To pour in with your people. To be bold by your spirit in witness and to know that its salvation is your business and it's your sovereign purpose that will be accomplished. Help us to expect great things of you. But things as you define them. Things we find in community, in rejection, in your word and in your purposes. Or if there be any in this room or listening over the internet who don't know you, maybe not much of this has made sense to them, I pray that you would give them eyes to see, a heart that understands, that they would see that Jesus is the Savior, that they would run to Him for mercy and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, those of us who do trust You, may we really live in a way that we could say we are denying ourselves, we are taking up our cross, Jesus, and we are following You. These things are convicting. So we need much forgiveness. We, fail, we have failed and will fail in many ways. And thank you for your throne being a throne of grace. Where we can confess our failure and be forgiven. Thank you that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. So help us to be pouring into life together. Encouraging and strengthening one another. Going out on fire for you Lord Jesus. And trusting in you. And knowing it's not us. Lord, save and sanctify your people. Accomplish your purposes. We are amazed that we would even be a part of that. We thank you for your grace. We cry out to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.